Hey, everybody, and welcome to a special season of Abolitionist Lent Bible Study. This Lenten season, we are continuing from what we did in Advent to invite people across traditions and mediums to explore themes of revelation, disruption, examination, and embodiment in ways that support a larger faith movement, reimagining restorative community, community solutions to safety, health, and wellness. So abolition means not just the closing of prisons and ending of policing, but also putting in place the vital systems of support that many communities are systematically disenfranchised from. Abolitionist Lent is a collaborative project between three organizations and some amazing folks, including Fellowship of Reconciliation, More Light Presbyterians, and the Presbyterian Peace Fellowship, and additional thought partners of Reverend Lindsay Anderson, Miles Markham, Minister Candace Simpson, and Reverend Ananda Barclay. So we invite you to join us throughout the Lenten season as we define, explore, reflect, and take action to further the inbreaking of abolition into this world. Today, I am so excited to be exploring uh, the theme of condemning with Reverend Shania Leonard um, and reading the text, John chapter three, verses 14 to 21 together. Shania, thanks for joining us. A long time coming. We've been meaning to do this forever. Um, and before we get going in our reading, I would invite you to introduce yourself more fully to us with your name, your pronoun, your work, and some of the identities that you bring with you whenever we encounter biblical texts. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me, Alex. Um, I am Reverend Shania D. Leonard. Pronouns are they, them. Um, I is, serve currently as the Associate for Gender and Racial Justice at uh, Presbyterian Church USA in the Compassion, Peace, and Justice um, particular area of ministry. And uh, what what other hats do I bring to the text? Um, well, I always consider myself to be a 21st century abolitionist. And um, I truly believe that the work that I feel called to both professionally and personally is tied in the liberation of all marginalized people. And so that is always the lens I bring to this work. Um, and I've been a pastor for 13 years and bring that work, that lens as well, as I've worked with marginalized communities, especially those within the LGBTQIA community um, in Pittsburgh. So here I am in Louisville, Kentucky, coming to you from the home of the Derby. That's right. Doing all the things. Thank you, Shania. And for all the ways that you embody a 21st century abolitionist, um, I really appreciate that framing. So y'all know I'm uh, Reverend Alex Patchen McNeil. My pronouns are he, him. I serve as executive director at More Light Presbyterians and live. We were just reflecting. It's been about a year. We've been living out of our homes, working out of our homes, doing all the things out of our homes. And uh, I am based in Asheville, North Carolina, so not too far from Louisville. Um, and for me, the work of abolition has been a growing sense of uh, the ways in which it aligns to my values. I think my work for liberation has been very firmly in place, but abolition has been a newer thing for me um, in the past couple of years. But in the work of this committee together, it has been, or in this conversation group together, has furthered the ways in which I truly believe it is the solution that can work further towards liberation. That's what liberation mm -hmm. has to look like, is with abolition in place. So I'm excited to keep going in this conversation together as we explore a kind of a, a familiar text to many, um, John 3 verses 14 
to 21. And we'll do this as we have been in the past around Lectio Divina with a twist of answering specific questions as we go. But the first question is really what we notice in this passage and what stands out to us. And Shania, I would invite you to read it through for us for the first time. I'll go the second time and you'll do the third and um, we can keep our conversation from there. Excellent. So I'll read John 3, 14 through 21. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that God gave God's only son so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the son of God. And this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who did evil, who do evil, hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Thank you. I'm curious in that reading, what stood out to you? Uh, several things stood out for, for me. Um, the connection to um, the Old Testament and to Moses is clear um, in the first part of that pericope of scripture, but it transitions us from what was deemed in the framework of a salvatory process um, pre-Jesus to the point of Jesus. And so that's the first thing. And then the second thing that really stands out for me is this whole idea of condemn. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to condemn? Who's condemned? How are you condemned? And what is your fate after condemnation has taken place? And so those are the things that readily stand out to me. And then the third thing um, for me is this whole idea of uh, the binary and the uh, economy of dark and light. Yeah. yeah. Very, very similar. I um, It took me a couple of, of readings through of this text before even today. <laughs> I was so taken by the like light, dark imagery and the condemnation that I didn't even realize, oh, oh this is John 3, 16, the verse that we hear mm. out of context so often. Right, on right. And billboards and um, and that it's anchored in, in something like love and love for the world. Um, so I really appreciate you highlighting those three things too. And I'm curious, yeah, would you explain a little bit the like throwback to the Old Testament with the serpent? I wasn't even tracking that at first, um, that that was that clearly the throwing back, but I wasn't clear exactly what they were meaning by it. Yeah, so I, I was kind of struck by that too, um, because it, it, if you read this particular passage out of context, and I, for those who see the glove, I cut my fingers, I have stitches. That's the only reason I'm not doing any medical procedures. I'm just trying to protect my hand. But um, so, um, there's this connection that happens, right, between what um, redemption looks like 
in the Old Testament and the connection to the presence of God in the Old Testament, which is lifted up in that part about Moses and taken out of context in this particular passage, it seems like where does that come from? Other than to draw the correlation around what, how God shows up for God's people before Jesus, and then the transition into how God shows up for God's people with Jesus and the embodiment of Jesus. And so there is a thread from, from, from what I can deduce, there's a thread of connection about the process of God's presence and God's presence to save God's people. Because when Moses shows up in that scripture, he's showing up as, um, as a vessel being used by God to show God's power, God's, God's sovereignty, God's all, all the things that we know God to be in that moment and to show God's superiority to those who would come up against God. And so um, that is kind of connected to how Jesus shows up. Because remember, Jesus's ultimate um, goal is never to point humanity back to him. That's why I really, honestly, I know this is kind of off the rails already, everybody may saying this, but Jesus would never have wanted us to have a birthday party for him in December. It's never his goal. His goal is to always continue and perpetually point us back to the divine, to God. And so in that way, Moses and Jesus stand um, as anchors to do the same thing, to continually point us back to God. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. And to me, I think there's that, that connection of what is meant by being a sacrifice or, or being one that has been killed. Um, the, the serpent in the wilderness, if I'm remembering correctly, was sacrificed. It was killed. It was attacking the people. I don't know. But then, but then there's, this, there's like John's already, we learned in chapter two, kind of foreshadowing Jesus's death, like very clearly, like we want to anchor Jesus's life in the ultimate, like end point of his life and what, what that means to us. And so um, the sun must be lifted up as something that will be sacrificed, but it's it's an act and, and kind of the, the author of John is, is trying to say, that's also, that's also an act of love of God. It's about God loving the world. This is not just sacrifice for sacrifice sake or um, death and destruction that has no purpose, which I think is again, an interesting an interesting parallel. It seems like John is really playing with dichotomies and and parallels and juxtapositions mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. really drawing on, you know, what feels like oppositional, but also parallel in terms of how it, how it explains God's relationship to us. And also too, um, you know, in, in connection to what you're saying, let's not forget that. So we know that the author of John writes with, with a lot of um, like, the pageantry and majesty of of Jesus and the divine. So there could have been a variety of examples that could have been chosen, right? Um, but the one that is chosen shows this kind of um, supernatural connection to how the divine shows up. And I think that that goes also with another theme. You're talking about themes. Another mm -hmm. thing that's in John that is always this thing. There's a, there's much more of a supernatural miracles. Um, type of greater than human capacity 
um, characteristic of Jesus and John that is not always present in the other gospels and the synoptic right. gospels. And so, you know, that's one of the things that sets John apart, one of the things. And so I think that that is very key in which example is used here to reference Jesus to, and connect Jesus back to, to the Old Testament. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, you and I were talking about, okay, what, what's one of the themes we want to use to anchor our conversation? And we were kind of landed on the theme of, of condemnation, which sounds very heavy. (laughs) That's a theme and, and truly it is, but it's really interesting the way judgment and condemnation get played with, even in, in this text around, you know, God sent, did not send the son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world may be saved through him. And um, that like, I think the verse 19, this is the judgment that the light, which Jesus is described as, is the light of the world. The light, AKA Jesus has come into the world and people love darkness or not Jesus rather than the light because their deeds are evil. I think that's a really interesting, like my growing up experience around people's like growing up in the mountains in North Carolina a lot of people had a particular view of what Jesus's salvation would do and who was it for and you know I can remember walking through the hallways of my high school and people asking me if I was saved or not um and not really believing that if I didn't go to their church that I was um or participate in their denomination that I was it's like well you know uh we have a whole different theology of salvation in the Presbyterian yeah. church, but it was kind of a, a weird outlier. Um, and this text to me it, it is, I think, offering some nuance around like the power of that salvation and who it's for. It's not just for those who were chosen. It is for the whole world, um, which I think is really an expanse of understanding way beyond what I think like isolating um, John 3.16 might imply, or like when you wear it mm-hmm. on your one t-shirt, it kind of feels very individualistic, but mm-hmm. this text to me is very expansive in its view. I so, was just, yeah, I, I just want to echo that point. I was just discussing about um, the importance of seeing Jesus in this text as not your personal Jesus. And this is what my colleague was saying, but as um, the tool of salvation sent literally for the whole world in a way that no one gets to determine who, what the criteria is for that. And it, it for me, this whole idea of condemning um, in connection to salvation, that it's the ones who reject Jesus very clearly are the ones who receive the punishment. Yeah. In a way that says to me, as G- and, and I think it speaks to how you see Jesus, right? Because for me, Jesus is a con- constant and consistent liberator mm-hmm. and a troublemaker and one who is sent to remix the narrative of life as usual. And so to reject that mm-hmm. means that you're okay with some of the isms and some of the ways in which we exist that are contrary to the love and the compassion and the the liberation that Christ represents. Yeah. Yeah. What I, what I hear in that too, that I want to underline is, you know, I think a more, if we, if we're going with the individual personal Jesus as Mm -hmm. our, as our theology of how we understand God, 
God's son, Jesus, and their, our salvation through Jesus is a very personal individual thing. Like either you accept him or you don't. And what I appreciate in your reading that I agree with is Jesus is, is human and divine and represents like the way we have to think about, are we accepting the way Jesus lived what Jesus called us to in the gospels that is for us to accept and live by and try and make real in the world and in the furthering of abolition for example and I think it also what you're saying like broadens what rejection of Jesus can look like Mm -hmm. that it's not just individual it is on the level of community if you accept Jesus but you ignore your neighbor you ignore the work of justice and liberation, then that is the same as rejecting Jesus. Absolutely. 124,000%. I agree with you because um, like I always say, there is no Jesus without justice. And so to reject Jesus means you reject uh, the fact that Black Lives Matter. To reject Jesus means you you uh, reject um, uh, DACA. You reject uh, that trans visibility. You reject queer lives matter, you reject um, marginalized folks, you reject all the things that are pushed into the peripheral of our society. Um, and you ignore really what the core of my Jesus, the, and it goes back to, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm not making complete sense here, but my picture of Jesus <laughs> is so much more than warm days and sunny rays and skipping through the daisies holding hands with kids. That's not my Jesus. My Jesus is a revolutionary dude from the hood. My Jesus is one who who walks around with folks who drink and cuss. My Jesus is one who's like, no, we ain't doing this like we used to do it. My Jesus is definitely one who is destructive of that which is destructive and is liberated for that which needs wholeness and chases after um, the divine. And so Jesus is one who does not come to not get his hands dirty. Mm-hmm. He comes to go exactly where he shouldn't be and do exactly what he shouldn't do according to status quo so that we all could live in a, in a system of abolition where we will yet one day find what it means to be life and life more abundantly and really live into freedom. Right. Mm. Amen to that, Shania. You're making perfect sense to me. And, um, <laughs> You know, I think that it's there in verse 19 around Mm -hmm. this is the judgment that the light Jesus has come into the world and people loved their evil deeds more. They loved Mm -hmm. they loved what they were doing more than what Jesus offered them in terms of the way they were supposed to live in the world. And, you know, I think that it just continues to underscore how expansive what it means to accept Jesus is. And to me, that's a word because I think a lot of times in, in especially in, in my context of white progressives, we don't like to talk about condemnation or judgment or salvation that much, to be honest with you. Like I, I remember when I was going through the ordination process, you have to write all these, those answers to the questions on the essays and there's like so much paperwork. Mm-hmm. And you have to give a personal faith, like, like, what is your, what, what is your understanding of faith or something? Mm-hmm. I can't remember anywhere now, but I, Sta- I wrote the whole statement of faith, statement of faith. Thank you. And I wrote an early version. This was before I became an, uh, a candidate. 
uh, or maybe as I was becoming a candidate before I was moving to the final stage. And I wrote the whole thing and it was pretty, pretty nice. And someone pipes up in the committee and they say, you don't really mention much about Jesus as like Jesus's salvation to us. Mm-hmm. And I kind of sat silent for a moment and I was like, oh God, what do I say? And someone, you know, rather than admit I'm nervous about that um, as I was at the time, some helpful person piped up and they're like, is that because as Presbyterians, we talk about salvation from birth? And I'm like, yes, that's exactly why. <laughs> like that was my, <laughs> right. that was my Hail Mary answer. But, you know, the more, I think Lent in particular, I think abolition in particular, I think Black Lives Matter in particular call us to look at what has been death dealing and to look at what has been condemnation here on earth and to draw some harder lines in the sand about which system of life and life abundant we're on Um, Mm -hmm. and whether it's life just for us or life for us, the whole world. Um, and are we do we, what do we really mean by that? Um, and so this, these past few years, I, I take salvation much more seriously than I ever did because I think what, what it ultimately offers is, is a life in God that is not possible without it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, because for me, I mean, this is great, Alex. I'm loving this discussion. Um, because for me, life on earth has been condemnation lots of times. Um, I think about not just my current uh life, but the life of my ancestry and the life of those who are most marginalized. And I think that, that this is 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 hell on earth sometimes. This is this is darkness. And that which is perpetuated on us, and I say us um, on, intentionally, because we still suffer oppressive systemic isms that are counter, they're they're completely cultural, but counter Christian. Yeah. And Christian in its purest sense of the word. Yep. Because there is a Christianity that says that it's perfectly fine to be capitalistic um, and not and nothing wrong with but be capitalistic in a sense that it leads you to agreed and a sense that only I matter because, you know, what does that mean for the poor? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. 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 I, I mean, I think that this is an invitation to maybe say more boldly which deeds are evil to say mm-hmm. more boldly that which has been condemning and that what should be condemned. Um, I think what abolition helps me see is a way out of a punitive system of justice that we use in the carceral system, that we use in terms of surveillance, but that we use all the time over and over again in our dealings with each other. And so I, I don't believe that condemnation equals punitive judgment. I think there's a way to claim this should be condemned in the sense that this this is not in support of how we understand God and Christ and our call as Christians. And so Mm -hmm. we condemn that, which is is not life-giving. Yes. 
I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I'm just, I'm oh, like, no, hallelujah, you're... I'm your amen corner. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. No, I, I, um, and I think we have to be bolder about it is the summary. Yeah, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't see how, um, I'm sorry, I constantly move, especially when I get excited. <laughs> um, how white supremacy culture would take that dichotomy that's in that binary and make that a racist thing. Yeah. The light and darkness piece. Can, I mean, can we talk about that for a second? Yes, please. Uh, yeah. Like, um, we can't talk about abolition and talk about um, all of these issues without noticing how that has been lifted up in our society. Um, I was just a couple of, uh, maybe like last week, I was looking at um, the Malcolm X movie. And in that movie, there's a scene, because um, a friend of mine had never seen it. So we were like watching. I was like, dude, how could you never see it? It's like one of my favorites, but whatever. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> And there's a scene when he's in jail and uh, the character Brother Baines is showing him in the, in the dictionary how the dictionary references uh, black and white, light and dark. And the sense that um, not only just dark is evil, but how that's equated to race. And so it's some, and I know that this scripture has been used too in ways that perpetuate this idea that people of a darker hue or a darker skin color are thus not um, afforded the opportunity of salvation because they are a part of this dark condemning force that is not even in a position to receive Jesus and Jesus is because Jesus is light and thus white and right and all of these things. Yeah, yeah, the dualism that John is offering, the poetic dualism has been so twisted by white supremacist Christianity to equate darkness with evil, with people who are dark or black. And I, I don't think we can say that enough that that is to me a twisting of what is really meant in these scriptures. And um, I was doing a, a study around Genesis, the first creation story with some Jewish um, scholars for lack of a better term, people who are Jewish, but study the text and talking about how, you know, in the, in the dichotomies that they offer in Genesis around God created night, God created day, God created, um, you know, the, 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 fish of the sea and the birds of the air that they're using they're using these dichotomies in a poetic way not to the exclusion of let's say sunrise sunset midday you know like when when those merge but as a continuum as a like to show the breadth of God's creation and i think that if we if we look at john to me, I think they're using, John is, the author of John is using parallels in a poetic way. And I think that that meaning is, has been so lost on those who would use Christianity to justify enslavement of people and hierarchies of bodies um, in just the opposite, most opposite way of, of what Christianity and Jesus is teaching us. And I, 
yeah, I, 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 I think we have to underline it and notice it. And it's something, the first thing I wrote in my like notes before we met, is like, I can't get over just how much light and darkness is in this text in a way that I think has been so unhelpful. Right, right. We have to acknowledge it. Absolutely. Because um, if we're going to talk about abolition, true abolition is to once again, do what I said is remix the narrative yeah. of what, what, what has traditionally been taught to us and what it really means. Yeah. 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 We can't get away from that. Cause I don't, I don't, I don't know that I will want to be connected to a Jesus that um, did not come for my salvation, but came only for my perpetual existence in hell. Right. And let's not forget that this is written, Jesus is called light as a dark brown man. <laughs> Do you know? Right. right. Like this only really works if you're in a Jesus was white frame, which is so like, I don't even have to tell anyone here how far off that is. And so what might it mean that the author of John is, yeah, like, let's just talk about, we're not even talking about skin color, you know, um, because we're talking about a brown Jesus and like everyone who's originally reading this would know that. Um, <laughs> that would not be like, look at my skin, look at the skin of Jesus, it's the thing. Um, so yeah, I, I think abolition calls us to acknowledge, to reflect and to like upend what has been a traditional, you know, supposed status quo reading of, of a particular text system experience. I think we're ready to move into our second reading. Um, I think we've already started talking about resistance and I, I, I wanna, I wanna ex uh, kind of revisit the text again and then explore for ourselves how this text calls us to resistance. And when we read, I actually offer a nuance of resistance around one level of resistance is about that kind of resistance to empire, uh, work for liberation, that kind of resistance. And then the other is, as we read, just like we were naming, something might be resistant in us. Something might come up and say, oh, I can't, I can't with that part of the text. Like, I need to talk about it. I need to think about it. I need to examine it. And so I invite both levels of that meaning. And so we'll see which one emerges in the second go through if, and maybe it's the same, but it always reveals something that we need to lift up and explore. And um, I'd be happy to read it through the second time as we hold that question before us. Okay. John chapter three, verses 14 to 21. And this is from the Common English Bible version. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so must the human one be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. God so loved the world that God gave God's only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. God didn't send God's son to the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him isn't judged. Whoever doesn't believe in him is already judged because they don't believe in the name of God's only son. This is the basis for judgment. The light came into the world and people loved darkness more than the light for their actions are evil. All who do wicked things hate the light and don't come to the light for fear their actions will be exposed to the light. Whoever does 
the truth comes to the light so that it can be seen that their actions were done in God. This is the word of God. What is a call to resistance that spoke to you, Shania? For me, the call to resistance is the call of rejecting um, kind of what I was saying before, that which is not lifted up as the antith- as the, the core of being of well, who Jesus is. And anything else is the antithesis of him and thus darkness. And so to be oppressive is darkness. To be uh, sexist is, dark- is, is darkness. To be um, materialistic in a way that um, exploits others is darkness. To be racist is darkness. To be homo and transphobic is darkness. To be ableist is darkness. And so, but those are the things we resist because what this text is calling us to is to live in the liberation that Christ has come to bring. And so liberation to me means freedom and freedom um, in the sense of not being held to the confines and the bounds of what the status quo says we have to exist in, if that makes sense. Absolutely. The thing that struck me kind of related to that is um, that those who who do wicked things are fearful that their actions will be exposed, that they're trying to do it in secret, um, underground, beyond the veil of human sight. And to me, that that actually both describes the kind of darkness that the author intends is this like, you know, like you're not able to see, there's no shadow, like we're all, where things are hidden. Um, and how often, and I think what's been so powerful about the past few years is exposing some of those sneaky deeds, exposing uh, killings by police, exposing um, the, caging of children from migrant families, exposing what has been hidden, the for-profit prison complex, right? That a lot of folks talk about this is an unveiling of what's been there, not an increase suddenly of police violence, but that this is a, a revealing of what has been true and, and showing the connections across um, time, space, geography for that truth. And so, if we think about darkness as a veil and people trying to hide what is true, that Jesus helps us reveal um, those misdeeds, but also to your, to your point, the liberatory truth that God would have for us. God doesn't want us to live behind the veil. Mm-hmm. I keep, when you, it's so, it's so funny you mentioned, um, well, not funny, but clearly on, on point that you were mentioned what's happening um, recently because the first thing I thought about is all the folks who've been exposed either um, in the Me Too movement and what's been happening there and look how many celebrities have fallen from grace because their stuff has been uh, the covers have been pulled back and I think about that uh, that coach um, was it a, a the U.S. soccer coach or tennis coach that just uh, last week um, killed himself because he was mm-hmm. about to be exposed for all the things that he's done. And I think about all the ways in which evil and darkness show up um, under the cloak of don't say anything, under the cloak of I'll kill you 
or even under the, the guise of I'll keep this quiet because it's going to profit me in some way. Um, I, I, I'm from Pennsylvania. I'm Pennsylvania through and through. And I think about what happened at Penn State mm-hmm. and all that was happening there that nobody exposed until a few years ago and how folks um, would rather, you know, it, it, it was like it, it wasn't being exposed. It was known by so many levels of people because somebody was benefiting from it at every level. And how much darkness has a pool sometimes. And I think that that's, that's the importance of knowing the power of God is stronger than the power of the pool of evil and darkness. Because that evil will, and that darkness will pull you into a place where you think that it's profitable or better or secure to exist in something that's the antithesis of the one who, not only the one who created you, but the one who sent salvation to come for you and bring you into a better place. And man, darkness is tricky. Darkness is tricky and it's not a skin color. It's not a person, a persona. Darkness is a force. Mm. Darkness is a force and a force that can overtake any one of us if we're not careful. That's right. Oh, amen to that, Shania. Yes. That to me is exactly what I was, I was trying to say back when we were talking about the breadth of the condemnation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's when we think about it as a force that we must resist to the mm-hmm. theme of the second reading that resists the pull of a version of comfort or security or profit yeah. or domination or oppression that keeps pretends to keep someone comfortable at the expense of others. But we know that that toxicity from that pull does poison us all, that mm-hmm. it's not, it's a false comfort, a false security of false stability if the rumblings underneath are so mighty that you know you yeah that you are hiding your actions and deeds that they will come for you they will come for you they will come for you whether you send for them or not (laughs) and not only that look like think about your darkness and not you personally but do you the metaphorical you like how that has residual effects on so many other people, right? Um, for generations, I think about, I was just um, a couple of, like last year, year before last, I read a book called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And it talks about all the ways um, in which slavery still has psychological effects on black people even till this day. And that is because of the evil that, that other people came to that had effects on generations of other people who will never know. I'll never know who it was that perpetuated evil on my lineage and my ancestry. I I, I don't know. And I'm not looking to necessarily know. But look how it even affects me to this day. And so I think that when we choose, because it's all about choice, you choose you this day. Um, Whether we choose the liberation and, and the abolition that Christ offers, or we choose to walk in the darkness that we think is offering us um, some potential benefit, realizing that both of those choices have a long-term effect either way. They both have a long-term effect that we cannot escape and that ultimately will affect others both ways. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I appreciate you naming that too, the, the generational impacts of evil deeds to, to the ones they're perpetuated on at the systemic level such as enslavement and then the personal level, such as the legacy of slavery. And then thinking about speaking of the Me Too movement, like personal acts of violence that 
that trickled down the generations. Like one, one act of sexual abuse can ripple through a generation. Like imagine that times an order of magnitude around a societal act of abuse that had individual actors such as slavery um, and enslavement. I, I think it brings that choice. Like we're always, we're always acting at the systemic and the personal and in this choice of resisting that pull towards comfort or, or, or pretend comfort or whatever the temptation might be to choose what is an evil action over um, following Christ's example, that it's not just for yourself that you mm -hmm. make these choices, but for potentially generations beyond you. Absolutely. My salvation, even my belief in Christ, hopefully is it will affect those who I have an influence on and not right. in a way of proselytization, but in the way in which the light of Christ shows through. Yeah. Yeah. If, if the choice towards evil has ripple effects, so do, so too does the choice towards liberation. And Absolutely. I, I think that's where that pushes against some of the scarcity feeling of like what I'm doing is not enough or will I ever see the impacts of of the daily decisions I make towards liberation that we're playing a generational game here <laughs> that yeah. this is not I mean hey if it wants to be resolved in our lifetime I'll, I'll welcome that but if it doesn't it's like what do you believe in beyond beyond your lifetime um I hope it's liberation and and Jesus's you know, demonstration of what is possible if we do uh, follow him. I, I think a lot, I mean, this is a little bit of a tangent, but Alex, I share with you um, as a friend, I think a lot, of, and all the other friends that are listening on Facebook, right. my close personal friends, um, <laughs> I think a lot about my legacy. Like, what will my legacy, not in the sense of what's going to appear in the paper, because that's not necessarily who I am, but what is the legacy that I leave for those whom have walked with me, who ate with me, who laughed with me, who um, listened to me, whom I've listened to? Like, what am I leaving? And one of the things I want to leave is the spirit of abolition. Mm -hmm. um, I, I really consider myself to be a 21st century abolitionist in a way that affects, um, and, and what does that mean? To be, to be an abolitionist means that, that you are working towards the act of liberation of somebody other than yourselves in a way that impacts a greater group. That's what abolition is about. And so that is legacy. That is the work of Christ. That's the work of the church. Yeah. Whether we, we buy into it or not, it literally is in the text. That's what we are supposed to be doing. So I think a lot about what is the legacy I leave personally, and then what is the legacy that we leave for future generations, even as people of faith, as, as practitioners of faith, which you and I are. Yeah. And the reframing, too, of evangelism within that, that part mm -hmm. of the way, yeah, if we're, if we're aware of what kind of legacy we want to we want to leave or, or at least bring into the world, plant the seeds for. Um, to me, that is related to what kind of evangelist we want to be. I started reclaiming evangelism for myself from a legacy that I was very uncomfortable with um, and felt often singled out. I don't know. I remember in, in, in college, people would come up to me and ask me if I was saved, not because they cared, but well, maybe because they cared, but because they could see I was visibly queer and they didn't think I could be. And um, 
little did they know I had a religious studies background in my back pocket ready for him. But um, get get red. Um, but like, I think that the way we evangelize, the way we show that light, how does the light shine through us is in the personal testimony of our daily actions, decisions, communities. Um, who are we working to build up? Is it ourselves? Is it our people? Is it the world as um, John offers? That to me is the essence of evangelism, just as my choice to, to follow that is an act of salvation. Amen. Amen. Uh, I, I'm once again, a thousand percent in agreement. <laughs> I wonder uh, if we go to the third reading now into the, into the vision for abolition that this text holds. I, I think um, reading it a third time will, will just bring forward some of what, what is left for us in this, in this text. Shania, would you be willing to read it again for us? Sure. I got it on my phone here. I tried to shut down everything else on my computer so I wouldn't have a lag. Mm. So I brought it up on my phone. Uh, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, and this is the NIV this time, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave God's only, that God gave God's only one and only son, that whoever believes in God shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son, into, God's son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. That's a different understanding. Yes. Ooh. Okay. In this, in this version, in this text, Tania, what vision for the work of abolition came through for you? um penal justice <laughs> the words the verdict here is the verdict like th this is where the rubber hits the road that um either you're gonna be with jesus in a place of abolition or you're gonna choose your darkness and whatever might come your way mm. yeah the, the thing that stood out to me is is the nature what is the nature of belief hmm. what does it mean to believe in jesus again because just reacting to some of the institutionalized ways where we have been told we need to believe what belief looks mm -hmm. like that to believe is to also believe the institution the institutional church and to prove that belief through certain things. I mean, I was talking about my paperwork, mm -hmm. uh, all the essays we've written, the committees we've stared down, the people who've questioned our belief and and practice as Presbyterians or, or any faith background. Um, and the simplicity of the belief that John offers, 
that whoever believes in him, just believe and act accordingly, that your actions are what prove your belief, not sent as a statement. Um, that stuck out to me around the work of abolition as a deinstitutionalizing force. That to believe in it is to start to break apart what has been, I think, cemented um, mm -hmm. in place. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that that way because that, you know, I, the simplicity of it and just everything you just said that is your actions because it, it always had this conversation with people about, you know, well, for instance, like if Hitler, if Hitler believes in Jesus, then Hitler can be saved. Okay, so let's delve into that for a second. Given the text, out, not out of context, but in place here, that it's about how you walk out your life and how you manifest the uh, relationship with Christ in your life and the connection to the divine is what, um, is what shows your salvation more than anything else. So it's not about uh, Hitler can, um, putting words into the atmosphere. It's about a life that is predicated on um, a choice of choosing light. And so that's the ultimate and more overarching question here is not about whether one person can one, uh, have a deathbed confession and make a difference, but it's about how you really live into the light that Christ has called us to and, and that abolition work. And nevertheless, the obvious that if he's an abolitionist, then what he did wouldn't happen. But yeah, there's that. So Yeah, because the, the preposition is that we'll be saved through him, mm. not by Mm-hmm. And I think that one version or vision of salvation is by Jesus, that just believing in Jesus is enough to be saved by him. But here the text to me seems to imply you believe and then you do through Jesus to, to receive the benefit of salvation, which by the way, I think if you begin to live as an abolitionist as Jesus was, that you experience many of the life-giving benefits of the communities, the people that you'll meet, the, the visions of liberation that you'll experience through mm -hmm. that, that the salvation doesn't have to wait till you're, it's not death. It's right, like, right, right. And what is, yeah, I was gonna say what does through mean to you, but you've kind of laid that out. <laughs> what does through mean to you? It, it, it very similar to what you're saying that it's it's predicated on how I walk this walk at the end of the day that Jesus is becomes my guiding force and uh, my my compass of navigation for how I interact with others how I connect to the divine and even um, something we never talk about how I treat myself as God's temple that 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 it becomes my north star. Yes. Yes. I love that. I really appreciate you saying how you treat yourself because mm -hmm. I do believe that it has, it, treating yourself is not just about finding the most comfort you can ever have, right? The, mm -hmm. the best sheets and pillows and best bed, though maybe it's a little nice to have a nice bed, but um, it's, it doesn't stop there at, you, you can, you can, I, I do think treating yourself 
as a beloved child of God <laughs> shows you a way to treat others, just mm-hmm. the do unto others have you, as you have done unto yourself. If you haven't done unto yourself well, it's, first of all, your cup will be completely empty by the time you're doing to others. But, you know, I don't think you know what true love is. Hmm. That's, that's a powerful statement by itself right there. And so in the context of this conversation, then my act of resistance and my work of abolition, even within myself, is for me to take naps. It's for me to eat well. It's for me to have moments of, of laughing and chilling. It's for me to have moments of study and reflection. It's for me to have a designated time of being with God. It means that I surround myself with, with folks who bring not toxic energy, but energy that fuels and uplifts. Then I'm around um, folks that pour into me as I pour into them and don't always take. That, um, you know, I, I, I make time for that which um, that values the temple that I've been blessed with, but in that in my act of resistance and my act of revolution, as Audre Lorde talks about, is, is doing just that work of taking care of me. Because the first way that oppression wants to operate is to cut us off from ourselves mm-hmm. and to disassociate ourselves from ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. I think as, as a trans person, it, it to me, it took a lot to get me back to myself. Mm-hmm. And when I did, through claiming an identity that there wasn't much conversation about, you know, 10 years ago as much, um, and, and really trying to like, for the first time, take myself seriously, take the messages my body was sending to me seriously, because I you know, grew, growing up as a very gender non-conforming human in the Southern US and North Carolina, like I had to shut myself down to get through the day, to get through, you know, you know I know, you know, this like, this sense of, um, yeah, just the amount of- association. Yeah, it was this association, yeah, it was this association yeah. To, to, yeah, to make it. And um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to speak your story. No, you're right. It's just, it's, it, 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 I didn't realize how much I'd done that um, until much later and through therapy, thank God, you know, being able to talk about it and, 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 and examine and explore it. And I remember when the light started coming back on as I started hormones and um, I had this experience of, um, being at a retreat with some, some peers. And I was like jumping around and being silly. And I had this memory of like, oh my gosh, this is how I used to be when I was like 12 at youth group. Like, this is how free I felt when I was 12 at youth group. And somewhere along the way, I got cut off from myself. And it wasn't just an internal thing that I did to me. I think it was the way the world saw me, the the lack of kindness that I received in, in lots of different ways. Can and I say the way the world shits on us? Can the I say way that? the world shits on us? Yes. Okay. I and, already said it, sorry. <laughs> and once, once, once I came back to my body, I just realized I can't, I don't want to take that away from anybody else. Like it, it was a, once I experienced that, I didn't want to keep it to myself. I didn't want to hide it under a bushel, let's say. Amen. And I'm so glad you didn't.
I'm so glad you didn't because somebody else coming because of the legacy you're leaving. And so I appreciate that. I think it speaks to exactly what you were saying is that it does start with, with like the rest, the, the people that we surround ourselves with, like all the things that you named were so powerful around, we have to be stewards of that for ourselves in, in, in almost, you know, in, in resistance to a system that would separate us from that within ourselves um, mm-hmm. as an act of resistance and a vision of a, a liberative or, or future that includes abolition. Um, and that is a testimony and a witness in and of itself. Amen. I don't have anything to add to that. <laughs> that was awesome and powerful. Yes. I didn't think this text had such a vision for the work of abolition when I first, I was like, when I was like, Oh God, this is a, this is a wild one. This is a wild one, but you're welcome. (laughs) You always help me think more deeply and, and feel more closely to what does that actually is supposed to be about. Um, And to me, it's about living in integrity with Jesus. Mm -hmm unashamed, not hiding. And if there's something that we're hiding, exploring why, why do I need to hide that? Is it because I don't think I deserve it? Is it because I don't think it's the right thing to do or I know it's not the right thing to do? Um, So this is about, the lightness to me is living with Jesus in integrity towards the abolitionist vision that, that he has given us. Integrity and the abolition vision, vision for my life of faith, my li- how I treat myself, how I treat others, and how I carry on the, the mantle of justice. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Powerful. <laughs> yeah, it is. And um, before we wrap, um, we are invited to think about what's something we want to take with us as a result of this conversation. And while you're thinking about that, I want to make sure folks know that Shania is going to be offering a, uh, you're our virtual pulpit supply preacher. I forgot to name that at the beginning. So this, this text will be preached upon <laughs> um, in a couple of weeks. And um, Jess will put that information in the in the chat where you can sign up for that and it's gonna be a powerful word no matter what, but I hope this conversation helps fuel some of what you dream about. But um, anyway, what's something that you wanna take with you? I think um, one of the things that's real powerful for me is something you said about the simplicity of the text and um, the need to not proof text or to even isolate John 3.16, but to read it and the totality of this pericope shows us once again how easy it is to really to really receive the salvation of Christ, well, of God through Christ, and that is um, to live in that light of liberation and love that Christ calls us to. I think what I'm taking with me is another simple message: it's do not be afraid. I was afraid of this text a little bit. I'm like, oh Lord, it's got, it's got some, it's been twisted in a way that I have 
not been comfortable with, or you know, from the level of the John three sixteen isolation to the imagery of light and darkness that have been used to denote skin color and humanity and who is deserving of God's love and who is not. And um, what I am remembering through this conversation, through not by, is when we really give ourselves permission to look at it as abolition calls us to, that especially when we're looking through and with God at our side, the liberation's always gonna be found there. Even, and especially as we wrestle with the legacies of some of the way the texts have been used, kind of getting our magnifying glass out, getting our hearts out, getting our experience out to look through this text reminds me that God is on the side of liberation and abolition and that God is continuously through every text calling us to that too. And I know for so many of us, we have been afraid. This is that separation from ourselves, afraid to look at these texts sometimes. And I just want to like hold fast to do not be afraid. It's that simple. Amen. I would be just really quick. I would just say I would be remiss if I didn't mention that over my shoulder here are two great liberators and abolitionists, Ella Baker and Fannie Lou Hammer. Um, and in on whose shoulders I stand. So just wanted to mention that. Yes, thank you. The saints have prepared the way for us. Absolutely. The, the, the we are following in great legacies from Jesus onwards and before Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, but we continue in that in that path. Yeah, thank you, Shania. Well, y'all, <laughs> what a rich conversation. Mm -hmm. I so appreciate you, Shania, like diving right into this text and and exploring it with me and for all that you do and and ways that you model abolition in the world and in, in your relationships with yourself and your community. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to not only just share in this Bible study, but to preach and to really explore this text with you. This is fun. I'm just 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 Christian and nerdy enough to believe that this was fun. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think that the nerds who followed us uh, into this conversation believe it's fun too. So <laughs> thanks y'all for tuning in. And we'll be back next week uh, at 2 p.m. on Tuesday. So Thanks so much and see you then. Bye. Bye.